This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. In this episode, we're going to be looking at old shop houses in KL and their relationships with the city. Old shop houses that you can see in the city and in smaller townships across the country provide us with a very nostalgic and, I have to admit, a slightly romanticised view of the past. Regardless, they were the foundation of commerce and early city life before a more structured and modernised development changed the city's landscape. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at these shop houses from the historical context together with our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa. So a shop house is, as you know, a shop and a house and would have been a great way of, you talk about having a very small carbon footprint, right? You live upstairs, you work downstairs. Your commercial, your trade, your business, whatever it is, is within, you know, a, a staircase of your living accommodation, your residence. So you have a situation where if you have uh, kids or a family, older people, and then working people at the same time in one family situation, whether it's extended uh, family, you kind of have quite a lot of support around you for your living, looking after people, you know, dealing with things. And you can move the transition, I suppose, between the two is fairly easy and pretty seamless. So traditional shop houses in KL would date back to the 1880s. What we now see as these old shop houses, you know, the earliest ones would go back to the 1880s. And you'd find them in and around Lebo Ampang, Medan Pasa, around toward Jalan, Lorong Pudu, you know, in, in just basically in that area. Um, between the 1880s and the 1920s, the majority of them would have been built in blocks. So you have a row of 10, 12, 13 shop houses with a break between these blocks. And so they're, in a sense, they're terrace houses um, or they're terraced. They are terraced. They are uh, linked. They are linked together. And the feature that we most commonly associate with uh, traditional shop houses is the five-foot way, the Kakilima, which is a covered uh, five-foot way, a passage in front of the buildings, which gives you shade and shelter from sun, from rain. It's safe passage because you're not on the road. You're not on the road where there is vehicular traffic, whether Dulu Dulu it would have been, um, you know, rickshaw, trishaw, um, even cars or other forms of transport public or otherwise. And uh, with those vehicles, uh, you are off the street, right? So you are safe. It also provides you with a frontage. Um, so you, people walking can see what is inside. And so the communication, I think, between the public part and the private or you know, sphere, the owned sphere or the, the, the tenanted sphere is very close, again, pretty seamless. And that 
you know, creates, I think, quite a different sense because now we look at, let's say, in KL, we drive, right? And then we pass by the shop houses and then we're on the road. We may or may not be walking alongside and we look at them um, from the outside. So we are a bit disassociated or dis disconnected um, with what's going on inside. So it really is a different sense of place, a different sense sensibility. I think a different temperament. And that is something which the traditional shop houses provided. They provided not just shelter, they provided a place of commerce, but they also provided a place where there was a relationship between you and your neighbor. And it was a very close relationship because the five foot way was open to both. You didn't have paga, you didn't have gates, you didn't have, you know, your particular space going into your place obviously there would have been doors there would have been you know a, a way of protecting or closing but this five foot way kaki lima because it was five foot wide was was this thoroughfare which while it was part of your land title was actually able to be used by the public and was open to the public so i think that that really is something which is kind of cool you know where you have a public feature uh, and a community feature that is provided for by by these this five-foot way. Most shop houses are two stories, three stories high in KL. There are some three-story um, shop houses. These are the traditional shop houses. And in a lot of them, you will see quite a lot of change having been made. You talked earlier about, um, yeah, there's a certain romance attached to it or a certain nostalgia attached to it. You know, I think that it the, the the type of living would have been quite different from what we expect today. You would have a lot of uh, in your upstairs uh, living part. You would have wooden floors. So whatever you do upstairs, because uh, you know there are there's commercial activity going on downstairs, unless there is a, a ceiling. Um, the sound will go through. Lah. So you actually have to think about the way you behave, the, 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 what you do. Because of this seamlessness, you also have sound moving between places, between a private and public space or private and commercial space. You have um, a whole, you know, what you do upstairs, if you, you know, if you are jumping up and down upstairs, uh, <laughs> people below you will actually experience what's happening upstairs because they will hear the sound. Um, they will maybe see some dust falling off the ceiling, you know, of the, of the floorboards, the other side of the floorboards. Um, so they will know what's going on. So your, the, the sense of, I think, privacy is quite different from what we experience today. Today we, we see, okay, this is my space. I close my door. You stay out, I stay in, um, whatever I do within my space, you don't know. But I think in traditional shop houses, kind of, there was, it was much more open, I suppose you could say. Shop houses by nature are pretty self-explanatory. You have spaces for you to trade on the ground floor and a space where you live in your house essentially on the second and sometimes the third floor. But apart from that, what are other unique features that an old shop house has? 
Um, the other common feature that people will think about if you were aware of a traditional shophouse would be this feature called um, an airwell. Because shophouses would have would be fronting on the street and they wouldn't have been very wide, maybe 20 feet, up to 24 feet when, uh, you know, uh, in, in terms of width. Would you think of a typical terrace house, huh? That's kind of the, the width of a, of the building. In Malacca, for example, you would get them a bit narrower, like 16 feet across. But let's say in KL, typically, it would be between 20 to 24 feet lah, wide at the front. That's your front opening. And then you go in, and because they're, they're fairly long, 100 feet long, or and I'm saying feet now because those days, they wouldn't have been, it wasn't metric lah, it was imperial. Um, you would have, a certain number of rooms, right? So the first room you enter, uh, what we call the first bay, is uh, will will contain whatever it is. And very often, if it was a shop, it would be your showroom, your display room. You know, where people came in and transacted their business. If it was an office or whatever it was, uh, you would meet your customers there. Okay, and then there would be a division of some kind and then you would go to the next level and in that next level very often there was an air well because an air well would have brought in light it would have brought in ventilation it was used for ventilation and for light uh, because it was an opening in the roof that went from the top to the ground floor and it provided the kind of light that you would need because imagine if you were in a box that was 100 feet long, 120 feet long, if you didn't have light except for the from the front and from the back, everything would be very dark, right? And it would be very stuffy and it would really not be very pleasant to live in. So you have these air wells that allowed light to come in, that allowed air and ventilation to come in, allowed the rain to come in. And if you had a longer house, you might have two air wells. And in a place like Malacca, you will have places which are 400 feet long, 450 feet long. They may have three or four air wells, you know, uh, which are or light wells, which um, allow in this light and this air and this water. And in these wells, uh, light wells or air wells, I think today a lot of them are covered. So we use aircon, we use uh, modern lighting. We don't need, I suppose, that form of natural ventilation. But the thing about the natural ventilation is it was exactly that. It was healthy. It provided you with sort of a, a connection with your, you know, what was happening outside. You know how when you're in a mall, very often when you're inside a mall, a shopping mall, you have no idea what the weather is like outside, Right. In a shop house, you would always be aware of what the weather is like outside because if it was raining, then the rain would come in. And if it was dark, then, you know, it, it would be dark. And if it was sun, if it was daytime, you know, the sun would penetrate. Um, if it was windy or stormy, you know, you would see it, right? So you, you, you actually had a much closer, immediate connection now with what was happening around you in terms of, you know, the environment. So that's kind of cool, I think.
you just heard from our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa sharing her knowledge on old shop houses here in the city. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin and together with me this week is our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa. We've been talking about old shop houses in KL and she's in the midst of sharing some of the features of these shop houses. Let's continue that conversation. Apart from the airwell and also the, I guess, very narrow design, are there any other... Architecturally speaking, key features of houses like this? Um, well, then you went to the back, the rear of the building, and they could have been uh, two stories. They more likely would have been fairly, you know, partly only built up with a two story at the back, but part of it would be an open area. And that was where traditionally the toilet, the kitchen, the washing areas would have been. So that it was the domestic the domestic side of the building um, where you you know if you have kitchen if you have a toilet in we didn't have uh, the kind of sewage system that we have now and they would have had let's say if you were do, do you know anything about the bucket system for <laughs> a traditional uh, loos um, they would have been basically a hole in the ground with a bucket at the bottom um, that would have collected any bodily waste and every morning at about three, four, five o'clock in the morning, you would get these people who would then pick up the night soil. That's why it was called night soil because they would pick it up at night and then put in a new bucket for the day and this would happen and they would then collect it and then it would be disposed, this night soil. And the story goes that um, one of the areas for the disposal of this night soil was in the Kampung Pandan area. And uh, they grew a lot of pandan there um, to mask the smell. You know, the kind of sanitation processes that we have nowadays obviously don't need, don't require that, right? The modern sewerage system, the modern sanitation. But that was in those days when you didn't have flush systems and it, and and that was that was for hygiene and for sanitation the uh, you know a really good system of making sure that people were safe and that you didn't spread disease and you know that that you so you had this daily collection of what was called night soil um and later there were these previously it would have been by you know manually um manual carts and later there were these trucks that had little doors in them like 36 doors and in each door one bucket would go in and another bucket would come out you know that kind of thing you take out a bucket you exchange it with a filled one and then and then you pick up your night soil this way so as we see nowadays we have you know people coming on uh, to collect um, garbage on trucks and this kind of mess cleaning that was one thing that was a feature of the traditional shop houses so in the old shop houses if you ever look um, and if you ever walk on a back street uh, that's the other feature you also had back lanes so between shop houses 
between a row, uh, the front of the shop house, uh, the row of shop houses would face the road, the street, right? The main street. The back of the shop houses would face the back of another set of shop houses, which had a parallel street, and they would have a common back lane. And in this common back lane, lots of things happened. They were safe places. They were places where people could go and relax. They would chat with their neighbors. The kids would play. And they wouldn't be impacted by vehicles, by, you know, possibility of accidents and things like that. Nowadays, of course, it's a bit different. There's quite a lot of clutter. And you have motorcycles and cars which are parked there. But they still exist. Um, So you have these kind of key features, right? Two to three stories high, five foot way. After your first bay, you get your air well. And then you get a second bay. And then you get your back area, which is your light well with your wet, you know, um, where you have toilet, kitchen, anything that needs to be done there, washing, you know, etc. And upstairs, you go up the stairs and you have, sometimes you have two staircases, sometimes you only have one. Uh, that lead to the upstairs area. And in the upstairs, you will have your rooms where you have bedrooms and you have common areas. And the bedrooms were quite interesting because they would have had uh, partition walls. And these partitions would uh, be made of wood or some kind of material like that. They're not, not brick. The wall, the main structure of the building is brick. But these partitions would have been made of another, you know, material, light wood or plank. And they would have been ventilated uh, to allow light in and air. Because remember, you have your air well, uh, which allows light to come in. And it can light up, you know, the, 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 the upstairs corridors. And along these corridors, you would have had rooms. And each of these rooms would have doors, but doorways, but they would also be open at the top and they would have a small opening at the bottom. Uh, Not enough for people to crawl under, but enough for ventilation, for light, for, you know, it was a a safety feature for light, ventilation, sanitation, for really the health and well-being of um, anybody who was living there. So you get your natural ventilation, you get your light, and you get, you you also still have privacy to an extent, like I said, because your walls are not brick and uh, not well insulated from sound, lah, right? So, you know, that, that that's kind of, so imagine living in a place like this, traditionally, your behavior, I think, I think society would have behaved differently, lah. I mean, you know, in, as individuals and, and respecting um, a certain community, uh, you have to have a certain sense of community and not invading everybody's uh, space. That, so, so it's a different sense. You cannot be selfish and say, I, I don't care, I'm going to play my music really loud, you know? I mean, you could, of course. But if you did that, you would actually uh, directly very very quickly affect your neighbor so so you know it was it was just different yeah how did or how when and why did it go out of style i i guess you've 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 alluded to it just now by saying that i think perhaps people want more privacy people want more space but especially for families who are i guess 
have long been traders, mm. generationally speaking, like, and and maybe again I'm projecting my romantic view of it, like, <laughs> yeah, like why why wouldn't they want to I guess preserve that legacy, especially considering that you know your work and your life is is all in one place, right? Yeah, no, I think that you know, number one, a lot of people now the expectation is you have better standards for of living in terms of your living space, right? Privacy, you have a better standard of living for all, all manner of other things like, you know, you want, you want to have your modern toilets, you want to have your, your, you know, your modern kitchens. So it isn't that so much that it went out of style, but a lot of these shop houses, I think, I have to go back to the Rent Control Act. It's an act that was repealed in the year 2000. Actually, it took effect in the year 2000. It was repealed in 1997. The Rent Control Act was something that was put in after the Second World War, after the Japanese occupation in the late 1940s. I think it was 1948. Because the cost of rentals in the city center, people were moving to KL and the city um, looking for work. And the cost of rentals were going up. And people really couldn't afford that. There was also a housing crisis. There wasn't enough room uh, to accommodate the people who were coming into the city to try and find work. So in order to control that situation or to manage that situation, the Rent Control Act was put into place, which said that the owners, uh, the landlord, cannot charge, you know, once you have a fixed price, that's it, lah, right? You can't keep upping the rental and, and, and kicking somebody out and saying somebody else is going to pay me more or I'm going to charge more, whatever. So it protected the tenant from exploitation by the landlords. What it did also was, uh, it was unfortunately, you know, it just continued for half a century. And what eventually happened was a lot of the landlords, the landowners were then actually being exploited back by tenants who were subletting. So if I'm able to rent my shop house, the whole shop house, for 100 ringgit, and I have four rooms upstairs, maybe I can sublet my four rooms upstairs at 50 ringgit each, and I can uh, then make 200 ringgit, and I pay my landlord 100 ringgit, right? You know? So there was this kind of exploitation. I'm not saying it went on completely, eh? but there was both, right? It, it was a bit of, you know, pushback on, on both sides. And landlords were saying, wait a minute, you know, why is the tenant, because I cannot charge the tenant more because of the Rent Control Act, but the tenant can exploit this whole situation and I can't kick the tenant out, right? So there were years and years and years of negotiation and then it finally got repealed. And in 2000, uh, in the year 2000, the tenants, you know, they, that situation could be rectified, right? So landlords could get back what they considered to be the value, the real value of their property in terms of rental or whatever. Tenants would then decide whether they wanted to stay or not stay. Now, because of this sense of um, exploitation, maybe some landlords did not do anything to look after the buildings. So the building themselves was um, left to be quite dilapidated, right? You know, parts of it got broken, parts of it got changed, whatever. Lah. 
And if you don't maintain your building, it deteriorates. And so once you come to a situation where instead of paying 100 ringgit a month, you now need to pay the market rate of 1,000 ringgit a month, right? And then you go, am I paying 1,000 ringgit for this place, which actually doesn't have the kind of facilities uh, that if I were to rent somewhere else in a suburb or a new part of the city, um, in a new housing estate, for 1,000 ringgit, I would be able to get my five rooms and I have my four rooms, and I would be able to get a modern kitchen, a modern toilet, you know, things that work. I don't have to worry about electrical fires, you know, things like that, right? Poor wiring, whatever, busy traffic, no parking. Um, so I move out. So this kind of thing happened actually over a period of time in the early 2000s. And at that point, actually, you know, now things have sort of uh, moved into a little bit more I think even keel, because that, that was a bit of upheaval, right? You know, it was a flux period. So a lot of shop houses were left vacant. Now, these shop houses that were left vacant in KL, they were either, for a while, they were left, they were just left. And so landlords, uh, owners um, sold, redeveloped, changed them, in from one particular use, a traditional use, into sort of more modern, contemporary usage. So you get a lot now of places which are bespoke restaurants and, you know, you get the B&B, you get the, the guest house kind of situation. And also I must say that because a lot of the places um, were not upkept as well as they could have been, especially when they were tenanted, yeah, and the tenant may not have been so responsible to maintain the building, and they sublet it. This was where, you know, you go, well, you know, the conditions of living upstairs are not so good. So you then convert the upper floor or floors into storage, into other kinds of use, but don't, so the residential nature of it, of the shop house, um, began to disappear. That was eroded. So there were a lot of these kinds of factors that were going on, uh, economic factors. Um, and uh, so people moved out, you move out into a more, into an area which which uh, suits you better. You know, if you're older, can you imagine, and, and traditional families, if you have, you know, grandmother, grandfather kind of thing, and you have to climb those rather steep steps, staircases, uh, go up and down several times a day, and maybe you're not so able, got no lifts and things like that, then, then it becomes, you know, less ideal living conditions. So again, you know, you might move out or you might convert something or you might. So your upstairs becomes empty or your floorboards, uh, because you haven't maintained the building, get crappy and, you know, get there, you know, get dilapidated and are rotten. It's not safe to live upstairs anymore. So you close the upstairs. So a lot of this was kind of like happening over, over the many, many, many years and, and the decades. And so with the repeal of the Rent Control Act, there was some kind of adjustment yeah, to when people who were traditionally renting it left. New owners or new businesses came in and the kind of activity that was going on there um, became, you know, has transformed, I think, you know, into what we see today.
in different areas. So there is a certain amount of gentrification that has been going on in the last two decades, you know, um, in, you know in, the, in the 21st century. It kind of started, I think, in the 1980s, 1990s, but um, it's really been accelerated, certainly, you know, in, in the, the last 10, 15 years. Because people have seen, oh, isn't it nice to be able to live and work in close by? Yeah, I don't have to look for, I don't have to commute. I don't have to spend money commuting. I can do what I need to do within a very small neighborhood. So they have become quite fashionable. And there have been changes uh, in neighborhoods as a result of that. And some neighborhoods uh, have changed to be more commercial. Um, and some neighborhoods have become, you know, a, a bit more mixed, but with this sense of gentrification um, happening um, because of this, what you said yourself, you know, this romantic notion of, you know, oh, you know, living in a historical context, lah, right? I, I contribute to the history of the place. Yeah. Um, so, okay, from a heritage conservation point of view, uh, how do you see uh, all these buildings, all these shop houses in KL uh, and their relationship with the city, right? Uh, because I think a lot of them have been demolished, but some of them are still there. But how do we go about navigating uh, these buildings, considering that they no longer serve, at least from the residential point of view, they long, no longer serve that purpose anymore? Even the shops, you know, some would argue that, you know, or oh, maybe we should have more modern shops, right? So, yeah, how should we uh, navigate this? Well, actually, the market is doing it already, right? You know, I mean, the, the, you have a situation where the more modern shops or the more modern activities. If you were a traditional carpenter, all right, and you tried to do a business in the middle of the city, what is now in the middle of the city, in a busy street, it would be a bit susa, difficult for your customers to come and see you, right? No parking, la, this, that, and the other. How do I pick up my furniture? So that type of business, and you might not be able to get a license because if City Hall say, oh, you know, you are a motorbike repair shop in the middle of the city, it isn't zoned for that. So I'm not going to give you a license for that, a, a business license. So you either operate illegally, which means, you know, that there's a whole set of problems related to that and issues and you will get fined and whatnot and whatnot. Uh, so you move out, right? And then a business that takes over a restaurant, if you have a row of uh, shop houses, uh, you convert that into a hotel or um, a, a row of um, restaurants, you know, and, and that kind of gentrification has been happening, right? Uh, more modern, you know, getting in new customers, sort of um, the uh, a different, more people with disposable income um, going to them and, and that form of gentrification um, happening. It's happening already. So there's nothing that you can do. I think when we look at shop houses from a conservation point of view, it isn't that a lot of them were demolished, but a lot of them have had facelifts and the, this facelift business has been going on from from time immemorial okay you have i come in i want it to reflect what i am so i modernize not the whole building but i modernize the facade so i have if you look at a row of shop houses one day i'll take you on a walk if you look at a row of shop houses you will see that some of them you go like oh there are like 
10 chop houses and they kind of look like six of them look fairly similar in style, appearance on the facade, yeah? And then four of them look different. Maybe some of them have become six stories. Some of them have had their facade changed. Their windows have changed and things like that. That kind of change has been going on forever because you want to reflect your personality like people do on their houses. You know, you reflect your personality. You paint your house a different color to reflect your personality or, or what you want to project. You put up new signage, you 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 do things like that um, on a commercial building. You change your windows, you know, to reflect what you think uh, is is you, you know, what you the image you want to project, correct? So that's been going on forever. And um, so a lot of these buildings were changed in terms of their facade incrementally over the decades since they were built. Some of them were demolished and then rebuilt. Some of them were um, not um, fell down or got burnt, and so they, you know, were not safe, and they were demolished, and new buildings put in their place. Um, so that kind of change in any place, in any city, in any town, there will always be this kind of change, and it's not something that, as a conservationist, you will say, "I will say, you have to stop the change." No, not at all. Change should happen um, because that's what society you know once and and you have to reflect not just the time but you also have to reflect not the times that is you know you have to reflect make sure that you know you have good health and safety conditions you have a good quality of living conditions right um, and all of these things are managed that way through through this process however what we I think as a conservationist I would say that I would not with we would never recommend a wholesale demolition um, adaptive reuse is certainly something which is much more not just acceptable but much more sustainable in terms of economically sustainable historically sustainable culturally sustainable because when you when you demolish something remember that what you are losing is not just the cost of how much it takes to be demolished, but actually the cost of what it took in the first place to build it, all the years and years and years of it existing and the cost of the maintenance of that, you know, the, the, the property, the historical value, you know, the kind of activity that was there um, that belongs to the memory of the place, is, is, you know, contributes to the memory of the place is also something which is not, you know, you can't, you can't put a money value on that, right? And so if you demolish the whole thing because you want to build a 10-story building there or a six-story building there, uh, then you lose it entirely. So that whole, it becomes fractured. It's like you take a piece of cloth or you take a shirt and you kind of remove the pocket and you replace it with a zip. And then you take a sleeve and you cut part of the sleeve off. Or you add on another, you know, uh, make it along. So the whole, the whole thing becomes like a, a hybrid of not coordinated parts. And that's part of what we look at when we look at cityscapes, the streetscape. You know, what is the character and the nature of the streetscape? How does it relate back to understanding um, what the community was like uh, what the place was like, um, uh, as opposed to it being completely a new block. Now, shop houses, remember, are not just 
these are traditional shop houses we're talking about. We build shop houses. All modern developments have shop houses, right? Except they're called shop houses, but most of them don't have the living uh, now. Now they don't have the living condition, you know, the living part of it above, the residential part of it above. But if you look at Bangsa, for example, and you look at some of the places, you know, where you have four-story shop houses, maybe the first two stories are commercial. And then above that are residential. You know, you have flats that people, you know, that are rented out for residential purposes above it. Sometimes it, it's only the ground floor that is commercial and then the remain. So this notion of a shop house remains. It's just not a traditional shop house. It's just morphed, you know, been adapted into a using modern uh, building techniques and, and uh, modern technology. It's not lost yeah it's just different you know this notion of the shop house but when it comes to um, what KL should do I think we really should not be looking at the city should not look at every single application that comes in on its own it needs to have a holistic view it needs to be able to look at how does this the change to this facade or this activity affect the rest of its neighborhood. Because when you look at it individually, I put in an application and I get it approved. You put in an application, you are three doors away from me. Yeah? You put an application and it's approved. Yeah, We are only looking at it in its isolation. I put in the application and mine is approved. You put in the application and yours is approved. What about the seven or eight neighbors that we have? How does what we've done affect them? And I think that this sense of the collective is something that very often is not taken into consideration because I'm the owner or I'm the tenant or whatever it is. I have permission to do this work. Um, I am able to do it. I can afford it. Um, I can pay, you know, I can, I have got permission from the city authorities to do it. So I just go ahead because it's my right. It is my right to develop. Actually, it is your privilege to develop. It is your privilege to change. Because if we talk about living as social animals, you know, in communities, in society, we have to take consideration each of the other. And I think the COVID situation has really taught us that. It's like rakyat jaga rakyat. You know what I mean? That, that, that's going around, right? Because if we don't look after each other, if we're not aware, if we're just being selfish and we just think about ourselves, the context, the historical context of um, the place, the sense of the place, the spirit of the place will be changed so much so that we don't recognize it. And when we lose that, then it's, you know, goes back to what I think I talked to you about my whoops factor. Whoops, what happened? It's gone. And it will never be able to come back. Not in the same way. You can rebuild, you can reconstruct, but it will not be the same, right? Um, and change is not bad. It's not a bad thing. It is the rate of change. It is the context of it. It is who's there and whether there has, you know, been some kind of community consensus um, understanding because if not you're going to end up with a situation where you know we all do what we want to do lah right we bring in who we want to bring in we can become a, a I have a neighbor and I have another neighbor living in the quarters next door 
but I can blast my music because I have a have a band, you know, uh, and uh, people come and listen to me. You know what I mean? I I've, I've turned it into a um, some kind of a club or a studio or you know that that sort of thing. So without consideration of my neighbors, if I am in a totally a commercial area where nobody's living next door to me, then it's different. So it's these kinds of considerations that if the authorities really wanted to look at it, they do need to look at it holistically. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and this week our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa joins us to reflect on the old shop houses right here in the city. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.